0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. By the book on BFM 89.9.
1: If personality is an unbroken series of successful gestures, then there was something gorgeous about him,
0: some heightened sensitivity to the promises of life, as if he were related to one of those intricate machines that register earthquakes 10,000 miles away. This responsiveness had nothing to do with that flabby impressionability which is dignified under the name of the creative temperament.
1: It was an extraordinary
0: gift for hope, a romantic readiness such as I have never found in any other person and which it is not likely I shall ever find again. No, Gatsby turned out all right at the end. It is what preyed on Gatsby. What foul dust floated in the wake of his dreams, that temporarily closed out my interest in the abortive sorrows and short-winded elations of men.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to buy the Book. I'm Lee Chui Lin, joined, as always, by my fellow misunderstood reader, Shamila Ganesan. (laughs) I hope I'm not a misunderstood
0: reader. It wouldn't serve the show very well.
1: At at, at some point, you know, we all in our own ways. I think so. Are misunderstood. (laughs) And so we're talking today. um, And the reason why we're starting with that is because there was an article on the BBC a couple of months ago, I want to say. And it essentially looked at, it's titled The World's Most Misunderstood Novel. And we're using that as a jumping off point today to talk about the novel itself and eventually also to explore this idea of, what it means to be misunderstood, especially after your own time. And if you look at the article, uh, which was written by Hephzibah Anderson, it looks at The Great Gatsby and how it has become a little bit of a byword. Um, it's pr- its protagonist, fundamentally misunderstood. Um, and I just thought it would be a really good one to talk about, considering that it's been almost 100 years since the book first came out. So when you say The Great Gatsby, um, most people immediately get certain
0: images in their mind, right? Art decor, um, flapper dresses, pearls, um, bootleg liquor, but also this pervasive sense of glamour and the jazz age and all of those things. The truth is when you actually read the book, um, yes, those things are there, but they're not glamorous or fun. They're actually mostly depressing. Um, And and so when I read this article... um, I love how it sort of nails in on how much the understanding of what the novel is about has strayed from what even Fitzgerald intended for it to be and what the book actually is.
1: Yes, so the the article itself posits that over the, over the years, and even for that matter in its own day, Gatsby has always been misread. So now we think of it as a byword for... Um, a celebration almost of Mm. the glamour of the 20s. This gold and the champagne. Correct. Of the possibilities that it it, it had. Um, And also, and we'll get into this later, the selling of the idea of the American dream. But it also, um, in its own day, was read more like a crime novel. You know, the, the premise being that, who is Gatsby, you know, and is Nick just there to investigate who this person is? And so... In its own day, it was sort of a a middling seller. It didn't do all that well. And people thought it was just that and something of a dud. And in the years since, it's become the celebrated classic, but perhaps for all the wrong reasons. And um, it's an especially interesting book to discuss because it comes up so often in classes. You know, it's one that's taught over and over again in uh, literature syllabuses, in um, in schools around the world. And so I think it presents an interesting example of how something that, can be misunderstood can still be critically academically studied and in some ways have those things further hammer home the misunderstandings surrounding the text. So I've always found it interesting how um, the phrase American dream is
0: used in in relation to The Great Gatsby, right? Um, And often as a celebratory thing, oh, it's about the American dream. Sure, it's also about the hollowness of that dream, but mostly it celebrates the American dream. What I learned from this article that I didn't know was that was actually an active campaign that the book was was um, following its sort of lackluster initial publication, the book really became a big deal when um, the government, um, I, I think a particular government agency basically mass produced copies and copies of it during the 1940s war effort and distributed it to um, the troops as a way of um, getting them to buy into this idea of the American dream, to revive the idea of what it means, which is actually deeply ironic because the story itself is actually about um I mean the only reason Gatsby even is quote unquote the superficial idea of achieving a dream is because of um living really grappling his way through a fairly criminal system and he still doesn't really make it he still doesn't um there's still huge classes divides going on um he isn't a happy person um So I find that I find that sort of marketing blitz that that push that idea really, really fascinating.
1: So before we continue, um, I I realize now we failed to do this in case you've not read The Great Gatsby and it's just something that you've you've heard of, um, you know, spoken about the story is quite simple and the, the novel is quite small, in fact. I think it's it's under 200 pages. It's always, it's a very slim book. And it looks at, it's told through a narrator, Nick, who encounters a former acquaintance of his, who he did not know to be any, any really great, rich man, now living a great, rich man life. You know, he has a mansion, he is sort of um, throwing party after party. He is a name that all those about town know. It's like, who is Gatsby? I don't no, but I'm going to his house on Friday night, and that's sort of the general sense of it. And Nick, I essentially gets close to Gatsby and his circle of friends, and in so doing, finds out that um, you know he's involved in yeah criminal enterprises, but also looks at the ways in which this personality or persona that he's constructed for himself is a fraud, and how in some ways it may all be to impress a girl. Now. Mm-hmm. That is a simple story, but I think you could also deconstruct every single element of what I just said and say that, yes, he's there to impress a girl, but it's not just any girl. Or is it really only about that? You know, you could break it down on those levels at each step of the way. Absolutely. And and I think
0: depending on at which point in your life you might read this book, you will probably catch on to different aspects of it. Um, the love triangle in itself, um, you know, Daisy, Gatsby, Daisy's husband, um, is, is in itself a huge aspect in this book. Um, but then there's also the relative kind of mystery of Nick, who's the narrator. You don't know very much about him, and yet the whole novel is through, told through his perspective. There's also Gatsby himself. Um, there is all of the parties and the conversations that happen during them. So there's a lot to 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 kind of hook onto, a lot to say when you, when someone asks you what it's about. It's actually a surprisingly difficult question to answer, especially given that, as you said, it's not a very... Big book. It's a very slim book, in fact. And I wonder whether that's kind of why, um, for something that's so complex, it's actually quite difficult to distill. And so people distill it to the simplest things. And in this case, uh, that American Dream, or it's about the jazz age, just becomes a shorthand.
1: So the reason why this article came out is partly because it has been um, its its copyright expired, uh, which means that it's entered the public domain. Which means that if you've been waiting to do something to do with Great Gatsby, inspired by an adaptation, what have you, uh, you can now do it, right? Because it is available for that to be done. And so I think in this vein, um, Anderson was looking. Anderson, the writer of the article, was looking at what this would mean for the book, for a book that has so often been uh, been looked at through very different lenses, what would it mean for it to be looked at through a 2021 lens? And that is also leading to the publication of a new novel uh, by Michael Farris Smith, which focuses on, on Nick, uh, who is the narrator of The Great Gatsby and who reimagines, again, what this character is and the kinds of damages and uh, interests that he is bringing as the book begins. And so um, that... It goes back to what you were saying, I think, about the richness of the text and the reason why it's constantly being re-explored. And it's a particularly interesting time now after so many years of um, uh, economic travails, after the cries of eat the rich you know, that, mm-hmm. that have been echoing around the world. Um, I, I think that it's an interesting time to look again at this character who fought his way to the top and amassed a lot of wealth, but not a lot of happiness. I,
0: I actually think now is such an interesting time to reread the book. Um, and when I was reading this article, that's exactly what came to mind. Um, I haven't read it in a while, I think, uh, maybe a good 10 years even. Um, but I do think that uh, the lens we have now, and then not just the wealth lens, but also um, so many other things, right? The the the, the female uh, lens, the race lens or the class lens, Um I think that Great Gatsby has all of these elements, which I think would lend themselves really well to discussion. Um, I don't know if I'm a great fan of self-correction, uh, cause correction, though. I don't know if I necessarily want to see a remake that, um, I don't know, empowers the female characters, because the book doesn't really. The book uses a lot of the women as, as fairly trope-ish kind of um, figures. Um, I don't necessarily want to see that course corrected, but I think um, something like the story told from the point of view of a Nick Uh, would be quite interesting, I think.
1: So we're talking today about The Great Gatsby in light of an article that calls it the world's most misunderstood novel. Uh, It's published on BBC Culture. It's written by Hepsibah Anderson. And um, it just posits that ever since its publication, all the way up till now, and in the time, in the years since, as Gatsby has become a shorthand for uh, hair wax, for perfumes, (laughs) for the 1920s glamour of it all, have we missed... Have we missed looking at the text as it was intended to be received, right? Um, have you read The Great Gatsby? Have you read it recently? What did you make of it? Let us know. You can WhatsApp 18 You can also tweet us at BFM Radio.
0: Be free-minded. BFM 89.9. New York 1922 Human beings in a the tempo of the city had changed sharply. The buildings were higher. The parties were bigger. The morals were looser and the liquor was cheaper. The restlessness approached hysteria. Shall we? Who is this Gatsby? Do you know him? War here. Mr. Gatsby the doesn't exist. Gatsby? What Gatsby. <laughs> I beg your pardon, Mr. Gatsby would like to speak to you,
1: alone. Hello, you are listening to By the Book with Lynn and Shamila and we're talking today about The Great Gatsby. This is coming from an article on BBC Culture that called it the world's most misunderstood novel. So we are going to get into the the whole concept of misunderstood novels and uh, some of our favourites in an extended footnotes that we're going to head to shortly. I also wanted to talk about adaptations because part of the um, argument being made in the article is that adaptations have a way of... Mm, of flattening the text and also of drawing out certain themes that then stick in our minds, right, of crystallizing specific moments and therefore defining what the book is about, especially for many people who may not have read the book, but who are very familiar with the film adaptations, whether it's Robert Redford in the role or Leonardo DiCaprio.
0: So a lot of those things that I mentioned at the start, the imagery of what this book would look like are from the films, right? Um, whether whether you're talking about the outfits or people um, speaking a certain way, a lot of that comes from having seen adaptations and not necessarily uh, from the book itself, which is not to say the book isn't descriptive, but it's not one of those deeply descriptive tomes. I personally haven't watched any of the adaptations beyond clips and and just like little glimpses. Um, I know that the trailer, even though I love Baz Luhrmann, I know that the trailer for his version of Great Gatsby um, didn't sit well with me, mostly because of the things we've already been saying, which is there was too much of a sense of a, uh, a huge, heady, uh, glamorous jazz age vibe to the whole thing, which I felt wasn't the Great Gatsby I had read. Um, I did hear Leonardo's really good in the role as The Great Gatsby, but um, I don't know. So I, I, I know what you mean in terms of, I think the movies do have this sense of presenting sometimes the visual over the substance.
1: So before we get to our footnotes, right, where we expand the conversation beyond Great Gatsby, um, I did want to ask you what you make of the idea of anything being misunderstood. And and I know that this this sounds like I'm doing away with the premise of the show. But honestly, I think as anybody who reads or who has ever studied literature or read literary criticism will know, sometimes authorial intentions depending on where you come from, right, sometimes authorial intentions are everything. All you want to know is what the author intended, what was their message, how do we take it? Um, and in some other instances, the argument is instead, no, you know, once you've released a text out into the world, it no longer really belongs to you. And, and it's just subject to the reader's interpretation and how they're received. So what do you make of this idea or the notion of something being misunderstood, especially something that is misunderstood for close to 100 years now?
0: I often fall on the um, the audience should decide side of things, um, mostly because I, I think, like what you said, once it's released in the world, um, I don't think the author necessarily controls what the audience takes from it or what the reader takes from it. However, I do think that for something like The Great Gatsby, um, I would make an exception, uh, primarily because I think there is actually a, a very important and, and very deep... Um, point to be made at the center of the story. And I think that gets overridden um, and forgotten so much. Um, The article talks about Great Gatsby parties. The article talks about costumes and and how that's how, when you say Great Gatsby, that's what people think of. Um, And I think that does a a huge disservice to what the book is actually about, which is a criticism of exactly those
1: superficialities. So to me, um, that is a problem. So I I think that um, you can receive, books have personal meaning, right? Um, I think this this is indisputable. There are books that are going to be important to you for very specific reasons, for very specific memories that have nothing to do with whatever it is that an author could possibly imagine. Um, and so I don't think that those things need to be taken out of account, especially if you are not somebody who is a critic, you are just a reader, you know, somebody who's appreciating it on those terms. However, um, in relation to what you just said, I think that idea of looking at the themes that the book is trying to explore and setting it in its time is very important because um I think when The Great Gatsby is set in the period in which it was written. And so because of that, it maybe wasn't as romanticised as the people who came after would have viewed it, you know? Um, we always have a propensity to look back at, that's why we call it the roaring 20s, the swinging 60s. You know, there are all these terms that we attach to those decades that we weren't part of. And I think that perhaps that is part of, we're, part of what we're seeing as well with Gatsby. And so it's important to consider the context in which the book was written. Like, you can receive it any way you want, but perhaps to get the most out of the text, it's important to know where it came from
0: yeah and it feels a little bit perverse to be partying and dancing to a story about a bootlegger. Ends, <laughs> a bootlegger that ends in tragedy that where people die and 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 just lose their entire um relationship or whatever I, I don't know so I, am I saying I wouldn't go to a great Gatsby party probably not but I would feel guilty and a little bit off tone about it
1: So, all of which to say, The Great Gatsby is a great book. Um, It was one, it remains one. Have you read it? Um, Have you reassessed it recently? If you've reread it, um, you can WhatsApp 018 789 8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, and write to us at buythebook at (laughs) bfm.my. to footnotes. Um, and because we've been spending the first part of our show talking about Great Gatsby, this extended footnotes is to just look at the concept of novels that are misunderstood and extend that conversation, I think, in in other directions. And so my thing, and, and I don't, when I was thinking about this, several examples came to mind. But overall, the overriding sense that I got is that just like with Gatsby, once the name of a character becomes an adjective or a trait, the I guess the misunderstandings inevitably follow. And I'm thinking here of, um, and we'll get into this, something like Lolita and how that has become a byword for a certain type of dressing, a certain type of character in books. And I would argue that that is a deep misunderstanding. Uh, the most famous literary one may in fact be Frankenstein and how... The, the use of the term to call something a Frankenstein or, 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 to, to say, oh, it's a Frankenstein story. More often than not, it isn't. You know, you, you're, you're talking about a pastiche when the original Frankenstein was nothing of the sort.
0: No, I, I do think that, um, i mean what you're talking about is essentially the power of um simply put marketing or branding right we talk a lot about keywords and 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 um hashtags on social media these are sort of the shorthand ways in which possibly either people who haven't actually read the books um but have heard of them or how popular culture has presented a lot of uh, these themes but in really simplified forms so when you say frankenstein uh, most people imagine green green, huge... Um, Bolts lurch- in the lurching. side of the head. Yeah. yeah, When you say Lolita, most people imagine inappropriately seductive young girl with a lollipop. But that's not actually what those books are about. And sometimes I think it actually
1: just goes back to the fact that relatively few people actually read the original books. So that's the thing. And I wonder how um, increasingly as we use the words and the characters divorced from the books and fewer and fewer people will have the patience to read the books, um, but may instead engage in the adaptations or even the abbreviated versions of books, um, we may just it may not be something that is going to be rectifiable because the argument with with Frankenstein is i mean on the base level you could look at it as playing god as the idea of what it means to create life um but really it's more about i think what it means to be human um you know how it is that we define humanness um what it means to treat people who are different from uh what it means to engage with or um be around people who are different from us and also the responsibilities that parents owe their children, you know, that that's really what it is. And I'm not even talking about the fact that Frankenstein is not the monster, which is which is you know that old thing. But I for me, whenever I see something called Frankenstein, I just wonder which of these themes are you referring to, or are you referring to something that is brought to life by lightning?
0: His ship surrounded by ice. Robert Walton watched with his crew as a huge, misshapen traveler on a dog sled disappeared across the ice. The next morning, as the fog lifted and the ice broke up, they found another man, nearly frozen, on a slab of floating ice. By giving him hot soup and rubbing his body with brandy, the crew restored him to health. A few days later, he was able to speak. This stranger, Victor Frankenstein, seemed upset to hear that an earlier sled had been sighted. Then he began to tell his story. So I've always thought Frankenstein was about a uh, father-child relationship. Um from the first time I read it, that was the thing that stuck in my mind. Maybe because I was generally a very sci-fi-oriented kid anyway, so it doesn't the theme the, the trope or the 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 markings of that genre don't really jump out at me. Um but yeah the the idea that uh the even the name has become now associated not with Dr. Frankenstein but rather the monster um all of those and and how it's it's not even sci-fi anymore it's actually horror it's viewed as a um a Halloween costume uh, I don't know i mean i I know this makes me probably makes me sound like a bit of a snob to say, I think it's important to know where stories come from when I also think that stories evolve and become sort of beings of their own.
1: To be fair, um, I mean, we're going on about Frankenstein partly because I I feel strongly about it just because it's a good book. A, Um, it is a rare book written in this genre at the time by a woman. Um, And so... I, I do feel as if it, it is so commonly misunderstood. It was also on, her only book. So it, it does feel as if sometimes when we get it wrong, we're, we're getting it wrong about a person's whole body of work. Um, but I think actually Lolita is the, the term that has more damaging repercussions. I agree. And
0: and Lolita is actually one of my favourite books um, of, of all time, actually. And it's also a very difficult book for me to reread because it makes me feel viscerally turned off by the main character. Um, And I would argue that that's what it's supposed to do. That's what the book is attempting to do. Nabokov himself has said that he was writing about um, a wretched character, someone Mm. that he felt both sorry for and was disgusted by. But Unfortunately, now the book is often referred to in in popular culture with the nudge-nudge, wink-wink, you know, particularly with the sexualization of um, young women, uh, particularly with the kind of imagery that's associated with the term Lolita. And I think that does a great disservice to understanding what this book is actually trying to do. Lolita, light of my life, fire of my loins, my sin, my soul lolita the tip of the tongue taking a trip of three steps down the pallet to tap at three on the teeth lolita she was low plain low in the morning standing four feet ten in one sock she was lola in slacks she was dolly at school she was dolores on the dotted line but in my arms she was always lolita
1: so, in this instance, right, it could be argued that something like Lolita uh, is really a reflection of the society that reads it. Um, you know, and that and that if you can take the view that a twelve year old is a devious sort of... Fatal that perhaps that reflects more poorly on, on the reader and in fact on a society that would condone that um, compared to what the book itself is trying to say. And so you could make the argument therefore in the most horrific roundabout way that the book is therefore doing its job. However, um, where it gets a little problematic, I think, is Uh, not a little, where it gets a lot problematic or where the problem extends is also in exactly what we're talking about. Branding, the fact that people wear Lolita costumes, um, you know, the fact that this... The fact that book covers often have seductive pictures of girls on it for Mm. the book. That
0: really bothers me.
1: Yes. And so I think... In these instances, I recognise that we're talking about a problem that extends far beyond us and our capacity to fix. I I think it's just worth noting. um, It's just worth noting. For me, this whole show is about putting a pin in a moment in time because I really do believe that as we get further and further away from from these books. And as people get more and more used to screens and more and more used to videos and our attention spans change, we are going to find fewer readers engaging with these older books. It's just, I think it's just a matter of fact.
0: So it strikes me also, though, that um, some of what we're talking about also goes to the idea of not oversimplifying what books are what novels are in their very form um because even when lolita came out the simplified version of why there was so much outrage about it even back when it was published was because people found it immoral people mm-hmm. found um the idea of um a, a story told from the perspective of a older man who found young girls attractive um immoral um and and that was the criticism. So even that is an oversimplified narrative, the same way we have now our own oversimplified narrative, the way we have for Gatsby or for Moby Dick, or um, where it it becomes almost entirely about a man um, overcoming his huge goal or challenge or whatever you want to call it. But these novels are complex, whether they are small or large, there are many, many things going on um, that get, I think, overlooked in this desire to... um, tell a single story to, to quote Chimamanda
1: mm. um i i want to finish uh, more or less on something that we've touched on in two previous bibliography episodes about two separate authors so the first is george orwell who um and and we addressed this within the episode as well whose books um while regarded as a as a treatise against authoritarianism you know uh, whether it's animal farm whether it's 1984 um they are now sometimes used and subverted by the very people about whom he would have been writing to lambast the other side. And I think that that speaks to many things. It speaks to the power of language and the power of a good story, but also about what happens when we get too far away from the author's life, intent and original context.
0: And when things are... um because fiction often is so also open to interpretation mm. versus it being a factual thesis.
1: Yeah. And the other author, um, and this gets more into banned books territory, is Saman Rushdie. Because um, his book, Satanic Verses, it's still banned here in the country as well as in some others around the world. And... It is a deeply misunderstood misunderstood book, and I think it speaks exactly to what you were speaking about earlier, which is the moralising and how sometimes the desire to have books that are moral without an acknowledgement that literature does not always have to be moral or um, that, in fact, it may be relaying exactly the message you want it to relay, but in a more roundabout fashion than you would like to hear. And so all these things, I think, contribute towards certain books being deemed immoral or banned. And It's not just Salman Rushdie. We've seen this throughout the ages. It's just he was the one who came to mind. Yes, and and I think Salman Rushdie is actually a great example
0: of, again, um, much of the outcry against him, or or rather the, the rousing of the hatred against that book, uh, was amongst people who probably never read the book and 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 were just given or fed a very, very simple, simplified version of what the problem was. Uh, and I think this is something that um, we see happen fairly often. Recently, with all of the controversy over Tommy Thomas's book, um, not necessarily to say, I haven't read it, so I don't know whether it's good or bad or whatever. But I just found people cotton on to one sentence or one thing or one fact uh, without saying that this is actually a, a book. It has many chapters and it addresses many things.
1: So, yes, um, surprise, surprise, By the Book is here to defend not banning books. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if this is a surprise is to anybody. That where we've arrived? Well, you know, I, I think I think the overall argument here is not necessarily that before reading any book, before picking up a book, you have to go and research all the works of the author and, um, you know, the historical context. But I think with some that have entered pop culture, it's not such a bad thing to maybe take a moment and just consider what the original tale was about. Um, because more often than not, it is Almost completely opposite to what we how we use the term or how we think of the characters. Mm. Um, I think that's the overall argument and maybe we'd love to know, I mean, what books do you think are misunderstood or what books have you misunderstood and had that perception changed? Um, do you think that this is important, you know? You can let us know by WhatsApping zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. You can tweet us at BFM Radio, write to us by the book at BFM.